Amen. The uh, text that we're looking at this morning comes from Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21. And you can find that on uh, page 12 in the New Testament in the Green Bibles, here to the sides or in the back. Uh, but first, please pray with me. Almighty God, you have spoken to us through your Son. Let your written word now be spoken and heard by each of us. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, that we may not refuse your calling or ignore your voice. May we all be taught by you through your powerful word. May our every thought be captive to obeying Christ. To the glory of your name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew 14. Now when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by Himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed Him on foot from the towns. When He went ashore, He, he saw a great crowd and they had compassion for And he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we look back a little bit, we will recognize that food and religion have gone hand in hand since the dawn of creation. God created a garden full of the ripest and juiciest of tomatoes. It's not hard to imagine the smells of spearmint leaves filling the air. Unroasted green coffee beans shoot up from the topsoil. All of this came to be before the first human's were created. God was establishing these things for the use of humanity. And the first two mandates that God gives the first humans, be fruitful, pun probably intended, and notice the food that I've been intending for you. Eat that. And then we have some of the dietary laws from the Old Testament. Eat this, don't eat that. These are parts of creation that can be harmful if not prepared in the right way. 
Stay away from pork. Stay away from animals that have cloven hoofs. Stay away from animals whose bellies drag the ground when they walk. Or eat this because it's a provision from God. Manna. You guys will need this during your time in the wilderness where you can't go into the market to buy the things you need. And I think one of my favorite dietary laws is from Exodus 34. Don't cook a calf in its mother's milk. I've got to admit, this one popped in my mind last Thursday when I was enjoying a nice, juicy cheeseburger. And what about the imagery of the future kingdom and the land for the ancient Hebrews? It was flowing with milk and honey. And even in the last two centuries, a Presbyterian minister named Sylvester Graham invented a rectangular wafer designed to be as bland as possible. By subjecting himself to this food, he thought that he would be able to curb his sinful desires. What was it called? You might have guessed it. The Graham Cracker. And it might be hard to believe Graham had a follower. One John Harvey Kellogg. This Adventist also believed that a different kind of bland breakfast food could curb his excitement for attractive women. Out of this, the Kellogg's cornflake. Food and spirituality have always gone together like, well, mashed potatoes and gravy. And we need not separate the two. Both are profoundly necessary for human flourishing. Here in our text, the boat is rocking back and forth as the waves swell and drop all around Jesus and His disciples. The uneasiness uh, matches the tie deep down in Jesus' gut at this point. You see His cousin, His predecessor, His colleague, John the Baptist, has just lost his life at the hands of a power-hungry and lustful Herod Antipas. At this moment, we're, re- we're reminded of the reality that Jesus is fully human. He's fully embodied and He's able to feel the deep pains of losing someone cl- so close and so dear to Himself. Jesus is getting away to grieve, to lament, to mourn. He's not just some kind of spiritual being as some will eventually say. Instead, fully God and fully human. He's fundamentally connected to heaven all while being rooted on earth. They get off the boat with the sea at their back. Jesus and His disciples continue their retreats in search of silence and solitude. Just as Jesus came on the heels of John the Baptist's ministry, a crowd is following on the heels of Jesus. They journey up from the sea, ascending up a sharp incline, playing slalom with the cedars on the hillside until they travel, until they find a trail that they'll follow that leads into an opening that's a massive field. Thousands upon thousands begin to enter the open space. By this time, the, Jesus, the stories of Jesus' healing ministries have circulated throughout the ancient Near East. Scattered throughout the, the crowds 
are people who are in deep need of healing. The heat of midday comes and it passes. Jesus spends His time meeting the needs of those who are sick. The blind see. The crippled walk. The withered are restored. Matthew takes no time to tell us exactly what healings are going on. Instead, he leaves that up to our imaginations. That's probably because he's priming us for the rest of his story. Jesus is providing for the immediate needs of his followers, but we will soon realize there's a much more universal need that is, that is arising with each passing minute. It's getting later and later, and the disciples are probably getting a little antsy. They have but seven items of food. Five fish and two loaves of bread among the thousands and thousands of people there. I mean, this amount of fish and bread likely wouldn't have even fed the twelve disciples and Jesus Himself. Understandably, the disciples are getting more and more anxious and probably a little frustrated. Hey, Jesus, it's past dinner time. There's obviously no markets up here. Let's send everyone down to the village to get dinner. We've got absolutely nothing to feed them beside this little bit of fish and these few loaves. These people have needs and they're beginning to wonder if those needs are going to be addressed this day. There are people all around us who don't have what they need. There are people among us that don't have what they need. There's some who don't have the support of their family. They've always, they're always living with the shame that their vocation isn't what is expected out of them. No one ever understands why Grace is an artist when she could have been the next lawyer or nurse of the family. Others have never been able to build up any kind of savings. They're chronically living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, often, wonder, often working multiple part-time, jo- part-time jobs, just trying to keep their heads above the floodwaters of emergencies and recessions. But what's interesting about this text is that we don't really need to do any acrobatics to make it apply to our world today. I mean, we could go on and on about the different ways in which people don't have their needs. But the problem of that day in that field is the same problem that many fellow image bearers of God still have today. And it's not just something that's isolated to nations thousands and thousands of miles away. We find ourselves in a world where this is something that's a problem in both Nairobi and Nanaimo. Brian starts his story. The last thing I ever thought would happen to me is become a single parent. Even more, I never thought I would struggle with something taken so much for granted as a good meal, or even one to fill on. Brian admits, I haven't gotten to a third sentence, and I can't stop the tears. For the past two days, my son and I have lived on applesauce and butter spaghetti noodles. We've been sharing our last bit of drink mix together. And as Brian's story continues on, 
we find out that his 10-year-old son is on the autism spectrum. This is something that has forced Brian to become a stay-at-home dad to provide for the needs of his son. This guy isn't the person that you would expect to suffer from food insecurity. Not in his collared polo shirt, pleated dockers, and his brown penny loafers. I mean, Brian looks more like someone uh, who might sit in this room than anyone many of us would expect to be suffering from not having enough food for himself and his family. Brian and his kids have needs, and they're beginning to wonder if they're going to be addressed. Jesus calls on His disciples to provide food for the masses to eat. They're scrambling a little bit. They might be thinking about the ways they might be humiliated in front of these crowds, or maybe they're still a little ticked off that they're not going that they're going to have to that they're going to have to divide the food that is rightfully theirs. Peter might whisper to Andrew, "Why couldn't they think to bring their own lunch? Even if we told them to go down to the village, there's no way that the markets would have enough food on hand." Either way, Jesus commands everyone to have a seat. With the five loaves and the two fish at His feet, He begins His short liturgy. Jesus gave thanks for the food. He blessed it. He broke the loaves into smaller pieces. Reminds me a little bit of last week. Jesus charges the disciples to go out with the baskets of dinner to distribute them. Jesus multiplies these ordinary objects and puts the disciples in charge of making sure anyone who was hungry was going to get something to eat. It's Jesus who performs these miracles, but the disciples who get to be the agents of this blessing, bringing exactly what is needed to those who need it the most. The baskets go out, floating on the sea of followers reclining at invisible tables. You've got to imagine the laughs that day. First, some are mockingly laughing, the chuckles of the cynics uh, that are amused at the embarrassment that Jesus and some of His closest followers have set themselves up for. The laughs begin changing their timbre a little bit as the baskets continue towards the back of the crowd that day. They turn into laughs of hilarity. The people in the back simply can't believe what's going, in, what's going on in front of their very eyes. The basket reaches the final person and they holler up to the front, Hey, Elizabeth, there's still some here for me. Can you believe it? What do we do with the extras? Christ this day miraculously provides for the massive crowd's needs. As disciples of Christ Jesus, we are being invited into this work. It takes just one conversation with Peter Sinclair to hear about how uh, food recovery and to figure out that there is enough food for everyone. God has provided more than enough. For everyone, The problem is that sin has thwarted any way to get food from the people who are in need of it on our own power. God is inviting us 
the church to be the disciples of this story. He has provided enough. He just needs his followers to step up and figure out who needs it and to get it to them. Peter tells the story of a rather downtrodden man walking away from one of the distribution centers of loaves and fishes. Tears are streaming from his eyes as he's walking with bags in each of his hands. Peter steps up. What's going on? The man collects himself a little bit. I'm joyful. I love cheese. I haven't had it in three years. Today, my bag is full of the richest of cheeses. Of Gouda, or for the Dutch, Hauda. I've got sharp cheddar and Parmesan. Tonight, I'm going to eat and I'm going to feel like somebody. It's this, it, it's, it's this thing that's both heartbreaking and profound. It's in having his needs met, and in this case, with some of his favorite foods that reminds him that he's a somebody. A bag of cheese can remind a person of their own imageness. And it's important to remember that the disciples that day are fed as well. Our God is a God who knows each and every one of our needs. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, He begins the process of meeting our needs. In the Holy Spirit, He comforts those of us who are waiting for our needs to be met. In participating in the work of God, we proclaim a kingdom that is being established right here in our midst. A kingdom that is breaking through here and now. A world where God's will is done on earth just like it is in heaven. This is a kingdom where people's needs are filled. This is a kingdom where hunger is no longer. This is a kingdom where we are satisfied with the finest of honey and the richest of milk. We get to join in with God who is breaking in this kingdom into the world more and more every day. And we have the hope that one day that kingdom will be fully established and we will enjoy the great bounties of it. Amen. Please pray with me. God, You are a great provider. We recognize um, that we have our own needs. We, each and every one of us, might have different needs, and we recognize that you are the one who sustains us and provides for us. We ask that you continue to meet those needs, that you continue your faithfulness and your work in our lives. And finally, we ask that you help us to notice the needs of others, that we might be your hands and feet as the church in this world. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.